We're continuing our Advent series in the lead up to Christmas. Um, And one of the things that I've experienced over the last couple of weeks as we've done these sermons is several people have expressed to me that they just find this Christmas thing really hard. And so even coming to church and listening to sermons that are kind of preparing us for Christmas is a difficult thing. Um, And it seems to me that a lot of that difficulty comes because we feel a kind of difference in what Christmas is meant to be and what it actually is. And so, of course, Christmas is about joy and peace and celebration, isn't it? And so if you find yourself in a season of hardship and pain and sadness, then you might feel like, oh, am I excluded from Christmas? Is this not really for me? Or am I even doing it all wrong? And this mismatch, this gap between what we expect and what we experience is only heightened by our culture's commercialised, consumeristic, let's be honest, kind of crazy Christmas. That kind of Christmas can so easily become a kind of sentimental, shallow, surface-level sweetness. Even at church, we can very easily slip into a Christianized version of this. One writer calls it a holly, jolly, mandated happiness. Be joyful. (laughs) Now, if that kind of Christmas seems beyond you, that you can't really participate in that kind of thing, if you feel like you're left standing on the outside for some reason, looking in, observing everyone's unbroken joy and bliss... Well, can I tell you this morning that you're not sitting there alone because I suspect that Joseph would be right there with you and he would look at our 21st century modern Christmas and just be kind of baffled at what Christmas can so easily become. Now, we don't really hear much about Joseph, do we? Tonight is our carols and reading service and Lockie and I were preparing and proofreading the lyrics to make sure that what the choir sings is what everyone else will sing as well. And Lockie just said as we were sitting on the couch, oh gee, Mary gets a lot of mentions, doesn't she? There's not a lot of Joseph. You know, Jesus Christ, that little child, Mary was her mother mild. And Joseph was there too, remember everyone? We don't sing about Joseph, but Joseph's story is quite remarkable because Joseph has one heck of a Christmas. It is hard First, he experiences the shock and the grief of finding out that his soon-to-be wife is pregnant and he has had nothing to do with it. And then he has an encounter with an angel, which in the Bible is far more disturbing and troubling than anything else. And then he has to travel a long way with his pregnant wife and then he arrives and he has to watch his wife give birth, not in a comfortable bed, but in a filthy stable. And then he's forced to flee with Mary and Jesus to live in Egypt as refugees because a king wants his kid dead. Joseph's Christmas is not sweet. It's not sentimental. It is gritty and it is grimy. It is down to earth and it is beautiful. Because through all of that, Joseph is a man who loves Joseph loves God and he listens to God and he follows God. And Joseph loves Mary with everything that he has. And Joseph loves that little boy, Jesus. And here's the big idea that we'll learn this morning from Joseph's story. 
at Christmas, none of us are called to a superficial, surface-level cheeriness. Instead, we are called to give ourselves in deep and abiding love to the people around us. A love that reflects the love that we have first received from the Lord. But before we get to Joseph's love, we need to start with his shock and grief. Because that's the emotional context that this passage begins with. So verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, what would you assume if you found yourself in Joseph's shoes? I mean, pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Come on. I think every single one of us would make the same assumption that Joseph makes. Mary's cheated on me. She's not who I thought I was. I thought I could trust her but she's betrayed me. In a world of sin, that is the only obvious conclusion because this is the world we live in, isn't it? It's a world where extramarital affairs are a thing, where friendships are broken, where families become estranged. None of us are immune from conflict and betrayal, from sickness and suffering, from disappointment and hardship whether we experience that personally or whether we see it happening in the world around us, all of us face the shock and grief of sin in a thousand different ways. And that's where Joseph is. Luke's Gospel tells us that after Mary found out she was pregnant, she hurried off to the hill country to be with Elizabeth and Zechariah. So here in Matthew 1, Joseph is likely alone, And he's sitting in this place of shock and grief, his heart broken and his mind racing. What am I going to do because of what has happened with Mary? That is some Christmas, isn't it? But Joseph's experience is more than just one example of one person grappling with the reality of human sin. Because what Joseph thinks he is facing is actually a little parable of human sin on a much larger scale. So did you know that in the Old Testament, one of the most frequent images and one of the most provocative images of what sin is like is it's like adultery. The prophets in particular speak of Israel as an unfaithful wife. God's people have spurned his love and they've given their hearts away to idols. Izzy, in the lead up to Christmas, has been reading the book of Amos, which is probably not the most, you know, obvious choice for what to read in the lead up to Christmas. But here you go. She said, you should look at this verse from Amos chapter 5. And this is what God says to his people. Hear this word, Israel. This lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. And so here in Matthew 1, we have Joseph lamenting Mary, his fallen virgin. And the whole Old Testament tells the story of God lamenting his fallen and sinful people. And so the New Testament begins with Joseph wondering, what am I going to do about Mary's sin? But really the question that the whole Bible is asking, what is God going to do with the sin of the world? 
Well, Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So in his shock and grief, we see that Joseph's response is shaped by righteousness and kindness. That's who Joseph is. He is a man, righteous and kind. That's some combination, isn't it? Joseph was a righteous man. As far as he knew, Mary had broken God's law. And so it was his right to end their betrothal. But Joseph was also a kind man. He knew that divorcing Mary in a public way would bring upon her great shame and disgrace. And so even though Mary had broken his heart, Joseph didn't want to ruin her life. Righteousness and kindness. Joseph was not a cold-hearted legalist, weaponizing the law so he could get his revenge on Mary who had betrayed him. But Joseph is not wishy-washy and sentimental, just ignoring the requirements of God's law. And then crucially, we're told that Joseph had the wisdom and the patience and the humility to go to bed without doing anything. He thought about it. He didn't lash out at Mary in a fit of rage. Instead, verse 20 tells us he considered this. I think there's great wisdom for all of us in that little verse. And in Joseph's response, I think what we see is that God chooses an earthly father for Jesus whose character reflects the character of Jesus' heavenly father. Because God too is righteous and kind, isn't he? God cares deeply about human sin. He takes immorality and idolatry seriously. He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He doesn't let wickedness and violence spiral out of control. God has made a moral world because he is a righteous God. And yet God's justice and righteousness is always guided and directed by his kindness and mercy. Over and over again in the Old Testament, through what God says and what he does, we see that he is the Lord. The Lord, a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. In God's great wisdom and patience, he didn't ever really lash out at his chosen people in a fit of rage. Instead, even when he punished their sin, he bore with their persistent sinfulness and faithlessness. And even more than that, the prophets, like Amos, kept making promises that God wasn't ever going to abandon his people. In fact, he was going to come and be with them and he was going to rescue them and redeem them from their sin. And all of this, Joseph, considering his little problem and God's glorious character and his great promises, it all comes together as the Lord sends an angel to speak to Joseph in a dream. So let's keep reading in Matthew chapter 1. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. 
All this, Matthew says, took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In his righteousness and kindness, God does not withdraw from sinful humanity, but he draws near to us. Joseph's baby boy will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he will be God with us, not to judge and destroy, but to rescue and to save. Joseph is to give his little boy the name Jesus, which is the Hebrew name meaning the Lord is salvation. That is the very heart of the Christmas message. It's what Joseph is told. It's what we remember every year. Who is Jesus? He is God with us in order to save us. And this news opens up a new way forward for Joseph. Mary's pregnancy, it turns out, is not a result of her sin. In fact, it is the result of God acting powerfully in human history to deal with the sin of the whole world. And so righteousness no longer requires Joseph to quietly divorce his wife. Righteousness now requires Joseph to stand beside his wife that together they would bear whatever shame and disgrace might come their way. God is calling Joseph to channel his righteousness and kindness towards protecting Mary and caring for Mary, to provide for the little baby Jesus and to care for him. God is calling Joseph to trust him and obey him and to follow him. And the end of chapter 1 says that's exactly what Joseph did. He took Mary to be his wife. He gave his son the name Jesus. In faith and obedience, Joseph follows God's calling upon his life. And the shape of that faith and obedience is a costly and beautiful love. I mean, just try and think yourself for a moment into what Joseph's experience would have been like in the few years following this dream. Imagine for nine months the sly comments and the snide looks he would have received as rumours continued to swirl. What happened about Mary and Joseph? And then imagine that you have to make that arduous journey to Bethlehem while Mary was heavily pregnant. And then imagine what it would have been like to arrive at your ancestral home and knock on door after door and be told, oh, sorry, there's no room for you, Joseph. And so the only place that you can provide for your wife to give birth is a stable And the only place that you can lay your newborn son is in a feeding trough for animals. And then imagine that you receive word from another angel that a jealous and angry king wants to kill your son. And so you need to take your wife and your child and flee to escape to Egypt. And then imagine living as a refugee in a foreign country with all the instability and uncertainty of living in a place that is not your home and wondering, when will it be safe for me to take my family back to where we belong? Jesus crashes into Joseph's life and just turns it completely upside down. He reorders all of Joseph's plans and desires. And yet with Jesus now at the centre, Joseph gives himself to faithful, quiet and unspectacular love. 
He is by Mary's side throughout the whole story of the nativity. He protects and raises Jesus for his whole childhood. And then he just fades into the background. We hardly hear of Joseph in the rest of the gospel stories. We barely sing about Joseph in any of our Christmas carols. And yet the more I've reflected on the character of Joseph, I just find him more and more compelling. Don't you think he's an incredible guy? And just quietly, this is for free, for all of the men and for the young men among us as well, I don't think you could find a more beautiful picture of what godly masculinity really is. Joseph is not passive and disengaged and apathetic. He's not aggressive and domineering. No, he's a spiritual man. He's open to God's voice and leading. What is God saying to me? What does God want me to do? He gives up his own comfort and ease willingly in order to follow God's call. He's righteous and kind to the people around him. As a husband, he lays down his life to serve his wife. He lifts her up so that she shines. It's entirely appropriate that we sing all about Mary and not about Joseph. What a beautiful picture of love we see in the life of this man. But actually, I think Joseph is so compelling because in the end, he is Christ-like. Joseph's character is beautiful because we see in him a little preview of what we will see in glorious, technicolor, high definition in the life of his son, Jesus. For just as Joseph stands by Mary and identifies with her in her shame and disgrace, Jesus stands by us by becoming one of us. He identifies with us as human beings by coming into the world as a member of the human race. And just as Joseph shoulders the responsibility of protecting Mary and caring for his family, Jesus will shoulder the responsibility of being the saviour of the whole world. And just as Joseph went down into Egypt in order to bring his family safely out the other side... Jesus too will go down into death and then rise up into new life to carry us with him that we would be a part of God's family and be safe with him in heaven forever. Joseph's faith and obedience follows the pattern of Jesus because Christian faith and obedience always follows the pattern of Jesus, that pattern of self-sacrificial, servant-hearted love. And so we shouldn't expect ever, and especially at Christmas time, that welcoming Jesus into our lives is going to set us on a trajectory towards unbroken happiness and bliss. Christian faith and hope don't open up a path to health and wealth and comfort and prosperity, at least not in the here and now. Instead, what Jesus does is he totally transforms our lives by drawing us into his redemptive work in the world. Like Joseph, we are called to follow God into all sorts of places that are uncomfortable and overwhelming and then to love the way that God has loved us. Christian faith and hope, they open up a path before us and it's a path for us to walk in the love that is like Jesus. 
With Jesus at the centre, we can now give ourselves in quiet and faithful and unspectacular love in every circumstance, in all of life. And what that means at Christmas is that none of us are called to a superficial, surface-level, shallow kind of cheeriness. Instead, we're called to look around to who God has placed around us so that we would love them. And so, if Christmas this year for you is just shaping up to be picture-perfect, and your mind is kind of consumed with what do I need to buy for the presents and how am I going to cook the lunch so it's ready at the right time and is everyone going to come and is the house clean enough? Wonderful, all good things. But at the top of our list needs to be how can I love the people around me? And how can I love in the hard ways and the painful ways, not just in the easy and the showy ways? And if you're one of those people who is bracing for the worst this Christmas, then isn't there a great comfort here to know that the very first Christmas was itself a very hard Christmas? If you find this time of year confusing or lonely or overwhelming, Joseph was in exactly that same position, confused, lonely, overwhelmed. And there is even more comfort because every Christmas we hear the same message that Joseph heard. That in all of that mess, God was with us. That he is with you this Christmas. However deep or dark or difficult it might feel. And what that means is that it is possible for you to have a Christmas that is loving. Even if it is the Christmas you were not expecting. Because Jesus is your saviour and because God is with you, you can follow his example of love. You can look for others around you who are confused and you can bring them comfort. You can look to others around you who are lonely and you can draw near to them. You can look for others who are overwhelmed and come alongside them and remind them of the good news of the gospel. Because the truth about Christmas is that it's big enough to hold everything all at once. Did you know that? It's possible to have deep grief at the reality of sin in the world and a deep joy that God has given us the saviour that we need in Jesus. We can honestly wrestle with sadness in our circumstances and have a real hope that God is with us wherever we are. We can make a proper confession that we and the whole world is a complete mess. And we can faithfully persevere in seeking to love people the way that Jesus has loved us. And do you know that only Christianity can do this? Only Christianity can look unflinchingly at the reality of darkness in this world and say with confidence, oh no, God is with us and God has saved us. And so I know that God can redeem even this. Now, that might not look like the quintessential modern commercialised Christmas, but it will look like the authentic Christmas of the Bible. That kind of Christmas will be countercultural and beautiful. It won't be holly jolly mandated happiness. Instead, it will be the deep and abiding joy that comes from knowing Jesus and doing his will. 
I want to finish by sharing with you. I got totally distracted about the slides there anyway. Um, my favorite expression of this kind of deep joy that wrestles with the darkness but comes out better for it on the other side. Um, it's a poem called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day and it was written by a guy called Henry Wadsworth Longfellow and you would just have to be a poet with that name, wouldn't you? Now, he was an American poet. He lived during the American Civil War at the end of the 19th century. In 1861, his wife died in a tragic fire. And then in 1863, his eldest son secretly left home to join Lincoln's Union Army and fight in the war. On the 1st of December in that year, he was wounded in battle. And Henry Longfellow received news of that at the beginning of that month. And then on Christmas Day in 1863, Longfellow, who was a 57-year-old widower and the father of a son who was fighting for his life because his whole country was fighting against itself, he wrote this poem expressing the dissonance that he was experiencing in his own heart. So the poem begins as he hears the bells ringing out with the old familiar carols, you know, singing out their message of joy and hope and peace. And yet with his family in crisis and conflict all around him, Longfellow just acknowledges that hate and violence seem to be completely at odds with the cheery sentiments of Christmas. And as Scott prayed for us about conflict raging in the world around us and violence in the very place where Jesus came to earth as a human being. It's not hard to sympathise with that feeling, isn't it? But it's not where the poem ends because the final stanza arrives at this settled confidence that God has not abandoned us, that God is alive and kicking and that because of Jesus, we can believe that sin won't have the last word in this world. And so we can have a deep and abiding joy that is stronger even than death. This poem reflects the message of Christmas that God's love will prevail and so we can praise him even in the darkness. So let me read this for us as we finish. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth goodwill to men. I thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth goodwill to men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this Christmas help us to not be afraid to follow your call upon our lives to be people of faith 
and hope and love? Would you turn our eyes upon Jesus, who is the Saviour and who rescues us from all our sins? Impress upon our hearts the good news that he was and is Emmanuel, God with us. Give us that settled confidence that wrong will fail and your love will prevail. And so help us to persevere in faithful, quiet, unspectacular, costly and beautiful service so that our lives, just like Joseph's, would point people to the love that we ourselves have received from Jesus. Amen.